Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good Friday morning, everyone. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius. We're coming to you a little early today because of the Good Friday activities we have at Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We have a Good Friday at noon service, which kind of keeps me from coming in at 11 and going till noon and have to speed right over to the to the service, but uh, so we're coming a little early today, and and will this replay at the regular time? Uh, we we I, I could make that happen, yeah, because there's okay. nothing in that time slot. Okay, yeah, uh, just yeah. Uh, for people who sure. normally turn it tune in at that time. Of course, they won't be able to call in with questions or comments, right, right. at that time. But folks, if you're listening now, and uh, you have a, a contribution you want to make to the program, if you want to call with a question or comment. The number is 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. And I always got to look at the engineer when I'm saying that just to make sure I got the right number there. So <laughs> I should know it by now. I say it every week. Yeah, it's okay. So, okay. So uh, back with us today is Sean. I'm back. Yes. Sean, glad to have you with us. Well, thank you. And uh, you, uh, you uh, uh, are, are a little sore still from your surgery, but yep. you're... But you're healing nicely, and uh, glad to see you back. Glad to have you with us. Well, thank you. Yeah. And uh, so, folks, today, as I said before, is Good Friday. And uh, and Good Friday is the day, of course, when Christians remember the sacrifice of our Lord. We remember that Christ was uh, became on this day our substitutionary atonement. That is, he, he, uh, he went in our place to suffer our death in hell on the cross, so that we could be free. Um, a lot of people will say, why is Good Friday called Good Friday? You know, when, when Jesus was sacrificed on that day, when Jesus was hung on that day, and it, kind of, it seems a little odd to some, sometimes to people that, that it should be called Good Friday. But we call it Good Friday because of the good that it did for the world. The good that it did for us. It was for our good that he did it. And so it's, it's Good Friday. Uh, there's a kind of a clever little uh, BC. Did you ever read the BC comics? Uh-uh. No, I haven't. Uh, the, uh, the BC, the uh, artist that does the BC comics is, uh, is a Christian. Oh, okay. An evangelical Christian. And he uh, has a cartoon of these two cavemen sitting on the hill. And, and the one caveman says, I don't like the term Good Friday. And he says, Why? The other caveman says, why? And the first caveman says, because my Lord was hung on that day. And the second caveman says, if you were going to be hung on that day and somebody stepped in to take your place, volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? And the first caveman says, good. And the second caveman walks away saying, have a nice day. <laughs> so it's a kind uh, of a cute, cute, where, do you, where do you get those at? I mean. uh, well, I, don't, I saw it on Facebook. Oh, and okay. Of course, I reached it. You know, the things you like on Facebook, you always kind of reshare. Yeah. And one of them yeah. I just reshared. So. I'll have to check that out because I think you're on my Facebook. I'll have to look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. So, 
So today is Good Friday, and it's good because the Lord took our place on this day, and the Lord saved us on this day by his uh, vicarious, what we call his vicarious death. Um, I'm introducing a little terminology to you. What does it mean, vicarious? Uh, to to uh, suffer vicariously. Uh, sometimes you may have you may have heard the term before. Um, people who are are incapacitated sometimes get their enjoyment vicariously. You know, um, uh, you know, if you're restricted from a certain diet, you you like to see other people enjoying. A bowl of ice cream, for instance. You know, you can't do it, but to the, for them to do it, it kind of happens for you. You enjoy seeing them do it, you know. Uh, vicarious means So somebody in the place of. Uh, the term is used in ecclesiology in, uh, in church circles, uh, especially in the Anglican church where you see um, uh, someone who is uh, uh, like a pastor standing in the place of a bishop uh, going to the place of a bishop will sometimes be called a vicar, right? Right. And uh, uh, in the case of St. Peter, uh, or in the, case of, uh, in the case of the Pope, uh, the Pope in early times was called the vicar of St. Peter. He stood in the place of St. Peter. Uh, later, uh, he came to be known as the vicar of Christ. Yeah. Uh, because he's, he, supposedly he stands in the place of Christ. Um, that's probably, a, you know, for... for Protestants, we we probably object to that <laughs> terminology, but but uh, you still get the. So when we say that Jesus suffered vicariously for us, it means he went in our place. He did what what should have fallen on us. Now there is a figure on Good Friday whose name is Barabbas, and and we're going to be talking about Barabbas uh, as we go um, today, but. Uh, the, I want to point out this is Barabbas, who was a criminal, uh, who was scheduled to be executed on that day uh, by the Romans. He had been caught and punished for a crime, and, uh, or convicted of a crime, and was going to face the cross that day. And he ends up uh, being replaced by Christ. And he's a kind of a central figure in the Gospels. You know, all four Gospels... A lot of times what they're doing is they're reporting um, the various things that happened in Jesus' ministry. And so not every gospel writer writes the same thing. Those things that they do write about together, things like uh, the ministry of John the Baptist or um, the, the arrest and trial and crucifixion, or all four gospels have, the resurrection, all four gospels uh, write about the resurrection. So all those are all very central to the gospel. And, uh, and this is one of those things. Uh, Barabbas is, is one of those characters that ends up in all four gospels. When all four gospels are writing about somebody, uh, that's, that's very important. That's significant. Barabbas is an important person. We're going to we're going to learn about him today. Now, uh, folks, as I said, this is a call-in program, and if you want to call with a comment or question, um, the number is uh, 740-383-9944. We invite you to do that. Uh, I want to just, before we get into the gospel lesson now, I want to just talk a little bit more about Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week is a very special time for Christians, and Christians all over the world are 
are celebrating this time of year. And uh, it begins, Holy Week is kind of the end, it's the climax, if you will, of the Lenten season. And the Lenten season is, at least for Lutheran Christians, is, is an important preparation for celebrating Easter, for celebrating the, well, Good Friday and the resurrection of our Lord. And so you have a, a period of about six weeks, beginning with Ash Wednesday, um, uh, and then you have uh, this period of Lent where people will often fast or they will um, forego some pleasure and uh, uh, use it as a time of prayer and meditation and focusing on, on the Word, uh, focusing on the Scriptures, and, and especially focusing on the passion of of Christ. So in other words, uh, on Fridays you don't eat meat, right? Uh, Fish only that's, or the, that's the custom of, of yeah. many Christians. Okay. Uh, especially uh, Roman Catholic Christians will, will will won't eat meat, especially during Lent okay. on uh, on Fridays. But a lot of Christians take up that custom. Anglicans, some Lutherans, um, not very many. You won't find uh, kind of like the uh, Reformed Protestants, uh, Baptists. Presbyterians, uh, you won't find a lot of participation in Lent uh, from, uh, although it kind of is a growing thing mm -hmm. that uh, other Christians, other Protestants have been have been more and more focused. I think it's a good thing. You know, our our uh, the way our minds work and the way we're set up, we have to have uh, seasons, right? And um, and God does this in the Old Testament. He has certain seasons and certain days when they're meant to observe and remember his mighty works for them. Uh, for instance, the Passover feast, which recalls to mind what God did for them in Egypt and how he delivered them. Um, and the Feast of Booths. It was a normal every day, every year, I'm sorry, every year celebration in which they remembered how God took care of them through the desert. And... Um, uh, and, and the Day of Atonement. Uh, there was certain days that were important in the Jewish calendar because God had done saving works for them on those days. And, um, and so Christians kind of have, although we don't have it kind of uh, legislated to us, uh, uh, no one's sinning by not, for instance, by not observing Easter. No one's sinning by not observing Christmas. Um, uh they do help us to kind of focus on certain times of the year on the things that Christ has done for us. In, in, for instance, in Christmas, we celebrate his incarnation. God becomes man. And that's a, Im, important because God becomes man in order to save us. And so at Easter, Good Friday and Easter, Holy Week and Easter, we celebrate his passion and his resurrection. Um, his death and resurrection, which are you know central to the gospel story, it's why he came. You know, I when I was going to bring it up to you since sure. you brought up Easter, yeah, stay on topic here. Um, I still to this day, I, even though I was a little kid, <laughs> yeah, I still understand where the Easter Bunny came from. Uh, I mean, it's just like Santa. It's just like yeah, yeah. Right. But well, Santa Claus is different. Yeah, yeah it's true. Santa Claus has yeah. some uh, has some Christian origins. Yeah, the Easter Bunny is. Uh, <coughs> has pagan origins. Uh, <coughs> many cultures before before Europe was Christianized. Uh, many cultures had uh, these celebrations of spring, mm -hmm. and uh, spring was a time of new life, and uh, and of course uh, bunnies 
are kind of known for propagating life, you know. Right. Uh, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Breed like rabbits, you yeah. know. You've heard that term before. Yeah. And uh, so they were very fruitful uh, creatures. And so the Easter Bunny came to, uh, you know, that that time of, uh, came to uh, symbolize that time of year in which the life was popping up again. You know, the green the trees were becoming green and. Uh, uh, we're going to put the crops in for uh, for a harvest, and and so um, kind of a kind of a new uh, a new life in nature, and so uh, that's where the Easter Bunny came from. Now we've okay. kind of you know we've kind of uh, adopted that. You yeah, know? Okay. Uh, the Easter egg too is this kind of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't come from uh, Christian origins. Uh, now. Uh, most people aren't aware of; they don't think about the pagan origins of those things. So it's a when Christians celebrate, when Christians, for instance, have an Easter bunny, or they have a, a chocolate rabbit, or you know they go hide eggs, and everybody yeah. has to go find the eggs. Yeah. Nobody really, no Christian really thinks about the pagan origins of that. So it's not really something that you know. I mean, of course, if they did, and they thought they were offering some sacrifice or some uh, you know custom given to a god then i guess it would be wrong but uh even the term easter by the way even the term easter is uh, is of pagan origin but christians have used it for centuries um and when we think about easter we think about the resurrection of our lord so that's true so now we have this uh, so going back to uh, holy week at the end of lent and you that uh, holy week is inaugurated by palm sunday when jesus publicly enters jerusalem as the king, as the son of David. And that inaugurates, of course, uh, he's recognized by the pilgrims who are coming for the feast of Passover, and he's recognized as the one who has done these great miracles, and everywhere, all the whole city goes out to meet him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a funny thing because this is how Solomon, the son of David, became king. That's how he was coronated. He he came in in exactly this direction from the city and in much fanfare and people were greeting him and acknowledging him as the king and this is what Jesus does. Well, this also stirs up on the part of Jesus' enemies great animosity and uh, and they see him then even more as a threat to them and a threat to their authority. And so uh, it, it um, inaugurates also this, now this, desire to arrest and to and to have Jesus put to death. So Holy Week is very important. It starts with Palm Sunday. And then um, last night, our church observed Monday Thursday, which is a uh, Monday Thursday comes from a Latin term that means mandate, a mandate. Uh, on that night, Jesus gave his disciples what he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Right. right, and uh, so to love one another is is the mandate of Christ. It's, so it's Monday Thursday, it's the day that He gives that mandate. It's also the day when Christians celebrate the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, this feast that we observe uh, in our church, we observe it every Sunday. Um, some churches don't do it as frequently. We do it every week, and uh, and this is the night when Jesus institutes it. And at the, at the time when they're celebrating the Passover supper, the Jews are celebrating uh, the Passover supper that they've kept for thousands of years, or a thousand years, fifteen hundred years, at the time of Jesus, and um, uh, Jesus takes that occasion to institute a new supper, a supper for his disciples. 
and uh, and so it's a Monday Thursday is important for that too. So you, you all get together and uh, at a big table and yeah. Well, we 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 uh, we call our altar the table. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, and so we just serve. Uh, we we consecrate the host and the and the elements. We consecrate them at the altar. Oh, nice. And then people come forward and they receive. The body oh, nice. and blood of Christ. Well, yeah. that's nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. Like, I love it. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's a wonderful thing. You know, because uh, the Lord's Supper that He gives us in this feast is life itself. Jesus says, "Take and eat, take and drink. This cup is the New Testament of My blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins." Mm-hmm. Luther will say later. He'll say, um, "For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation." Right, right. Wherever you have the forgiveness of sins, wherever God forgives you and draws you near and makes you His own child, uh, you have you have everything you need. And so everything really is contained in this in this feast, in this supper that Jesus gives us. And so uh, Monday Thursday, very important day. And of course now Good Friday. Uh, on Monday Thursday, Jesus was taken, arrested, and taken, and and uh, over. Over the course of the night, he was tried in the homes of Annas and Caiaphas, and uh, and then early on Friday morning was sent to Pilate, and uh, we know that he also, Pilate, who is a little reluctant to condemn Jesus, he doesn't have really any, you know, the Romans had kind of a, at the time, they had um, a, a very noble sense of justice, right, the they they could be cruel, uh, but among the ancient powers of the world, uh, the Romans did have um, a sense of right and wrong, and, and and their justice system was very advanced. Um, and no, and Pilate, who would have been part of that system, <clears throat> doesn't uh, willingly condemn an innocent man, and he sees that Jesus is is sent to the sent to him by the Jews uh, out of jealousy. And so he doesn't willingly condemn Jesus. He sends him to Pilate first, and then uh, after Pilate does nothing with him and sends him back to, or sends him to Herod, and when Herod does nothing with him, he sends him back to Pilate. And then uh, Pilate is pressured, as we'll see here in the Gospel lesson, Pilate is pressured to condemn Jesus and uh, sends him to Golgotha, sends him to the place of the skull, sends him to where the Romans uh, frequently uh, carried out these executions. And Jesus is crucified between two thieves, as we'll see, and uh, and then uh, the, of course the, uh, the the taking down of Jesus from the cross and the burial. Um, uh, tomorrow evening we will celebrate uh, Easter Vigil. Uh, by the way, tonight we'll celebrate uh, Good Friday. Uh, at Tenebrae, we'll, we'll have a Good Friday at noon service today, by the way, if you're available, uh, people in the listening audience, and you'd like to come. We have a Good Friday at noon service today in which we'll uh, celebrate again the, the death and uh, sacrifice of our Lord. Uh, and then this evening at 8 o'clock, we will have the what was called the Tenebrae service, uh, the darkening service, in which we focus on the seven last words of Christ from the cross. Oh, interesting. Uh, so... Uh, at, and and as we do this, the church gets darker. Uh, a candle goes out after each saying of Jesus oh. from the cross, and and it, until it's finally completely dark in the church. It's a very moving service, by the way, wow. uh, as we hear Jesus speak these words of life as he's dying. Um, 
And then, uh, then tomorrow night, uh, after we've uh, uh, talked about the death and burial of Jesus, we uh, we go into the Easter Vigil. And the Easter Vigil is um, a time when we remember all the saving acts of God, from the creation to Noah's flood to to the uh, crossing of the Red Sea and many of these saving acts of God that happened throughout the Testaments, uh, culminating, of course, in the resurrection of Christ. And so tomorrow evening at 8.30, that service uh, begins in the darkness, everybody holding a candle, yes. and, uh, and, and eventually the, uh, the, the room becomes lighter and, until we come to the full brightness of the, of the resurrection. Huh, yeah. So, uh, so that's a, an important uh, uh, <clears throat> celebration, and then of course uh, Easter morning we have our divine service and uh, and the Easter celebration, uh, the resurrection of our Lord. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, by the way, for those who are interested, nine o'clock tomorrow. Well, I'm sorry, nine o'clock on Sunday morning is uh, our Easter breakfast. So uh, we have uh, free pancakes and sausage and uh, eggs. Oh. And uh, so people come early for church and they have breakfast before they go up and, well, that's where they're nice. and celebrate uh, divine service. Yeah, so it's it's always nice. Uh, so that's kind of what our weekend will be. And, and you guys are located, I'm sorry, you guys are located where at? At 219 East Church Street. Okay. We're right beside Rocky's Bicycle Shop. Rocky's oh, okay. Bicycle Shop is kind of a landmark in Marion. Oh, okay. And then you have uh, the old YMCA on the other side. We're right in the middle. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you we're go. The, we're the, uh, the yellow brick church with the big green dome on top. Oh, I know where you're right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think I ever asked you that question. Yeah. I'm sorry, Brett. Yeah. I no, didn't know you was located. Yeah, that, that's, that's where we are. <laughs> oh, okay. So, on the corner of Church and High Street. So, oh, okay. folks, if you're interested, you want to come for some of these services, you want to see what Holy Week observances are about and, and uh, what the church is doing uh, in this most holy week of the season of the church year, we invite you to come and uh, be a part of that. So. Good. That's that's pretty nice yeah. that you guys are. Uh, you actually put the uh, put it together, like you know, to do the candles, the whole nine yards. That's yeah, very, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very moving. Yeah, and, and uh, so if you've never been to an Easter Vigil service or a Good Friday Tenebrae service, I I invite you to come because it, yeah. it it'll be an experience. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, as we uh, continue with this theme of Good Friday, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Read from the Passion of St. John. Now, last week, last Friday, in anticipation of Palm Sunday, in anticipation of Holy Week, we read from the Passion of St. Matthew. That is the last, uh, uh, well, the 26th and 27th chapters of St. Matthew. St. Matthew has 28th, the 28th chapter is the resurrection narrative. Well, here in, in the, the Gospel of John, the 18th and 19th chapters are the are the are the passion narrative, and we find it uh, in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter eighteen, starting in verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Speaking of his disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And this is kind of John's way of introducing last week when we read the Gospel of St. Matthew, the Passion of St. Matthew. And <clears throat> Jesus prays, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But not as I will, but as you will. Uh, well, John introduces the cup here by telling Peter, shall I not drink from the cup? So John doesn't mention the prayer, but John mentions this thing that he says to, to Peter. Now this cup is kind of a... It, contextually, from Scripture, we see there are, are really, there are these two cups that are given to humanity. And one cup is this what is this cup of woe and this cup of wrath? We see it often in the Old Testament um, as God, in Jeremiah, for instance, we see God sending around this cup to the nations and all the nations must drink it down to its dregs. And it's a cup of wrath and it's a cup of woe. It's a cup, um, in other words, God is, God is using this analogy of drink for something that he's about to administer to the nations, and his justice, his wrath, his, uh, his anger, we might say today, his overwhelming anger. And that is that God is punishing the nations, but he's sending this cup around, and everybody has to drink it. Everybody has to drink it, he says, uh, Jeremiah. And uh, he talks about all the nations that must drink it down his dregs, you know. Well, as, as we said before, you know, Jesus for us receives the wrath of God. And what Jesus is doing in his prayer in, in St. Matthew, and what he says in St. John here to, to Peter, is he's reminding us of that cup of woe. And he's saying, I, God, am about to drink this cup for the sake of humanity. I'm going to take it when you couldn't handle it. Uh, I'm going to drink this cup of poison. It's a, it's, a, it's a killing cup. It's a cup of death. So that, um, uh, as we will see here, filtered through Jesus, this cup of death becomes uh, the cup of the table of the Lord, the cup of the sacrament of the altar. It becomes this cup in which Jesus gives us his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And now this cup of death, this cup of woe, this cup of wrath becomes a cup of life. And the psalmist speaks of this too. He says, um, what shall I render to the Lord? Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And we say that this cup of salvation is the cup which uh, is filtered through Christ and he gives us in the Holy Supper, in communion, in the sacrament of the altar, which 
is, is really the cup of wrath that has become, filtered through Christ, has become the cup of life. But now when Jesus takes it, it's the cup of death, right? Yeah. So shall I not take this? He says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So reading on, so the band of soldiers and their captain and their officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Of course, Caiaphas meant it in a different way, but he fulfilled a, a prophecy when he, when he said it. Uh, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And here Peter is denying Jesus. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I said what is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if I said what is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter, and at once a rooster crowed. This was in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave at the Last Supper. Then Jesus led, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. This is um, this was uh, a custom of the Jews that they, they didn't enter in a dwelling of, of a Gentile. To do so would, would be to, to, to defile yourself, to make yourself dirty, unclean. And uh, so they, they stood outside because, of, uh, because they didn't want to embrace this uncleanness of the, of the Gentile. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Uh, in other words, they don't give an answer. They don't have really a, they don't have a civil charge to bring against him. They're bringing these religious charges, which doesn't interest Pilate in the least. So Pilate said to them, verse 31, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That's important because... 
when the Romans took over Jerusalem, they, they were, uh, the Jews were forbidden from carrying out capital punishment, which was part of the law of Moses. So the civil aspect of the law of Moses was, was, was gone, and only the Roman authorities could condemn a man to death, officially, although it, it did happen occasionally. Uh, there was an act of vigilante justice. <clears throat> well, verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jews, the Jews would have stoned a blasphemer. But because the Romans were doing the executing, it was the cross. It was mm. the crucifixion, which was a horrible, horrible, bloody and, and painful extremely painful, excruciatingly painful way to die. The, that word excruciating that we often use for pain yeah. comes from crucifixion, comes from that. Uh, oh, okay. excru to excruciate, you know, um, to crucify. Uh, so, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this is the only charge that would mean anything but Roman. Because to declare yourself a king would be to oppose Caesar. Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Oh, we got a call. Okay, well, let's, uh, we'll stop and we'll take the call. Hello, caller, you're on the air. Oh, I'm on the air? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I'll call back later. Okay. Okay, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. That happens sometimes, yeah, don't it? Yeah, it yeah. does. Okay. So, uh, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. By the way, this is something Christians need to remember when they enter into politics, that we don't enter into politics to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Yep. Right. Right. Because Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, we we have uh, we have uh, we're also citizens of this country, and we want to we want to uh, advance the interest of this of this nation, advance the interest of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. But as uh, as uh, Christians, we don't enter into politics to advance the interest of the kingdom of Jesus. So uh, he says, if my my uh, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So in other words, Jesus is the king of truth. And Jesus' kingdom is, um, although Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, Jesus does have a kingdom. He is the king. Right. He is the king of kings. And, uh, and the ultimate judge of the world. Uh, so... Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate doesn't even understand the statement. Uh, Pilate, it's interesting. Pilate is so, like so many modern, um, uh, modern thinkers who uh, have, have lost the sense of objective truth. You know, and, and today in our society, many people think of, well, there's your truth and there's my truth, but there's not a truth. There's not the truth, right? Right. And that that that, that kind of thinking is uh, very subjective. Uh, everyone has kind of a different truth. Well, if there's if there's no truth 
that we can both agree on. How do we live together? This is a kind of a, this is a dangerous way to think. There is truth, and there is objective truth, and we can't agree on it. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so we're kind of. It's funny that we have, uh, uh, in in a way, we are returning to. Uh, a more ancient way of thinking when we eschew uh, uh, objective truth. We're, we're, we're embracing the kind of thinking that, uh, that Pilate embraced in his day. Anyway, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and said, told them, I find no guilt in him. Now, that's a very important statement. The one who is supposed to crucify this man is finding no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now this is the, the, the figure I was mentioning earlier. Barabbas was this guy who was supposed to die. He was supposed to be crucified between the two thieves. And yet because of this custom of Pilate, this strange custom in which Pilate's trying to curry the favor of the people, when Pilate wants to release Jesus, the king of the Jews, this man uh, is released instead by the, by the cry of the people. Barabbas. So Barabbas goes free. Barabbas, who should have died. Barabbas, who was guilty, goes free. And the man who was innocent, Christ, goes to the cross. So who is Barabbas? This is a very interesting question. Well, folks, just to cut to the chase here, Barabbas is you. Barabbas is us. Barabbas is that one who is released, the guilty one who is released because the innocent one takes their place. And that's exactly what has happened. Jesus goes to the cross for us in our place. A substitutionary atonement, a vicarious, as I said at the beginning of the show, a vicarious atonement. Jesus is, is there suffering the wrath of God suffering uh, the, the misery of that wrath, drinking that cup of woe in our place for our salvation. Is that where he, uh, that terminology comes from, like when uh says Jesus died for our sins? Yes. Yeah. yeah. For our sins means yeah. the, in our place. Yeah. Uh, he took the guilt of our sins. Yeah. He became the sinner so that we could be righteous in God's eyes. Right. It's a, kind of a, a wonderful... Uh, Wonderful thought. Well, then uh, start in uh, chapter 19 of uh, uh, verse 1 of 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may, find, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Pilate is still making this declaration that Jesus is guiltless. And yet Jesus is suffering this humiliating mockery at the hands of these soldiers. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to be die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, 
You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So here is the civil, the civil charge, finally. So when Pilate heard these words, he, he knuckles. <laughs> he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to, be, to them to be crucified. So now we have the, the condemnation of Jesus finally. So uh, taking up again in verse uh, 16, So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The only charge that could be brought against him was that he was the King of the Jews. <laughs> verse 23 when the soldiers had crucified Jesus they took his garments and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier also his tunic but the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom so they said to one another let us not tear it but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be this was to fulfill the scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots so the soldiers did these things but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, knowing that all was now finished, Jesus said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Uh, this was to fulfill uh, Psalm 22. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had finished, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished," and he bowed up his head and gave up his spirit. Bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This uh, this this last word that Jesus speaks, "It is finished," uh, in the Gospel of John, it's the last thing he says. And we ask ourselves, what is finished? Well, you know, on the surface you could say, Jesus' life is finished. And that's kind of what he's saying, you know. It almost sounds, in that sense, it almost sounds like a, like a, a declaration of despair. You know, like, oh, it's all over with, you know. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Remember that as the gospel is written and as, especially this passion narrative goes along, uh, the gospel writer and all the gospel writers as they're writing these things 
uh, keep saying, and so the scriptures were fulfilled, which said, you know, and uh, to fulfill the scripture, you know, uh, the, the different times the way the phrase is is uh, is put out there, say, it's saying the same thing in a different way. But what is finished is what the scriptures have said. The scriptures have promised the Savior who would come and die for the for the nation, who would die for all the nations, and who through whose death, uh, and Isaiah points this out uh, pretty explicitly, that he bears the grief of the nations. He carries their sorrows. Uh, he carries their sin. He takes responsibility for it. He, the Savior, becomes the sinner and suffers God's wrath in their place. And that's what is finished. His work of what we call atonement. What it takes to make us right with God. What it takes to set us on good terms now with God. You know, uh, we often think in our, in our uh, hum, uh, human thinking, in our sinful human thinking, that in order to be right with God, we have to do something. We have to live a certain way. We have to kind of, we, what we really try to do in our, own, in our own sinful hearts is we try to atone for our own sins. We try to make up for them. We try to uh, offer God something that will make him forget the things we have done or the things we haven't done that we should have done. True. Because sin is, you know, sin is like that. Sin is, is, isn't just the things that we've done that were wrong, but it's the things that we haven't done that were right. And, uh, we, and we failed to do the right thing. Uh, well, so when, when our, in our own futile way, we try, to, we try to make up for those things. We try, to, we try to live in a certain way. We try to do certain things, do good deeds, you know, that will kind of cover up those evil deeds. Those never cover up the evil deeds. Uh, our good deeds never outweigh our sins. And there's always this crushing weight of our sin. Even the attempt to try to placate God by our own service to him is an offense because it is a rejection of the way that God does make for us to be right with him, and that is through Christ. And so when Jesus cries out, it is finished, what he's saying is, the work of atonement is finished. And now the world can be forgiven on the basis of what he has done on the basis of the finished work of Christ. It is finished means there's nothing left for you to do. The work of salvation is done. And what? And we just receive it like a beggar holding out the hand. We receive all the work of Christ for his sake. And uh, we receive life and salvation on that basis. I'll just say amen on that. Amen. Yeah. Very good. Well, folks, we, uh, we're glad that you joined us today. We hope that you'll be with us again next Friday when we uh, talk about the resurrection and, the, and the, uh, the, the work of salvation that is proclaimed now. Uh, so, uh, And if you don't have a church home, we invite you to, to be with us Sunday mornings at 1030, 219 East Church Street, Gethsemane Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius, and I'm glad you joined us for the hour, and we hope you'll join us again. Amen. Amen. <laughs>